Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Eddie Izzard is a singular performer. As a teenager, I saw her comedy special, Dressed to Kill, and re-watching it this week, I realized I committed entire bits to memory. It's not too much of a stretch to say that Izzard's whole way of being was influential for me. Gender non-conforming, brilliant, hilarious, nerdy, Izzard opened a window into new ways of existing that broadened my world, and I know I'm not alone in that. Now she's back in San Francisco this week, where Dress to Kill was filmed, remixing a career's worth of material for Our Strange Times. Izzard joins us after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. If you've never heard Eddie Izzard's stand-up, you might not think that the British Empire can be laughed at, but oh man, it can. Let's begin this morning with a cut from Izzard's comedy special, Dress to Kill, which was filmed in San Francisco in the late 1990s. Or perhaps we'll have to wait on that for just a second. Um, Just a note here, Eddie also goes by Susie, and I love Susie Izzard, and I'm delighted to welcome her to the show. Welcome, Susie. Uh, Thank you very much. Yes, my my names. Um, I I should mention, because I think it's... it's, I made a statement on Twitter, people can look back on Twitter, or whatever it's called now, um, that... uh, I've added Susie. So people talk about dead names. I'm not doing that. I'm keeping Eddie because I came up with that one. I was Edward. Well, mum liked Edward. And I'm not <laughs> sure why she liked Edward. And unfortunately, my, my beloved mum died when I was very young. But um, so I'm going to keep Eddie and I'm going to add Susie. So it's Susie Eddie. And then some people say, oh, it's Susie Eddie, like Anne-Marie kind of thing. And I go, no, it's not that. But now I'm getting used to it. Some people are calling me Susie Eddie. So I'm, I'm, it's all, uh, you can't make a mistake with me. She, prefer she, her, don't mind he, him. It's, um, I'm Jen the Floyd, and, but I'm yeah. based as essentially essence as a, as a trans woman now. So 21st century thinking, positive, open, and no one can really get, get it wrong. So there you go. <laughs> it's, That's where we are. Yeah, it's funny because I, I have a, you know, non-binary kid and that child was really trying to pin me down on how you see your own gender you know it's really being like they know every flag in the queer universe and it was they really wanted to know you know which pin would go on your bag you know is is that important to you or is that not 
No, I think it's getting, I like the flag has been uh, the LGBTQ flag. And even though we have a lot of letters in LGBTQ+, um, I I like that because if you think about it, if you know about the, the, the human species, we start off as girls. We all start off as girls and some get coded boys. They're trying to work out how the identification happens. They think it could happen very early with the brain being coded uh, male, female, boy, girl. And and it's such a mixture. And and if we think about it, we know this has been there for not centuries, but millennia, all the way back to the very beginning. Um, the Native Americans had a, a very open uh, idea about sex and sexuality. And actually, it doesn't matter. Because if I actually sat down and tried to do one of those lists where you write down masculinity and femininity, what is the essence of, of hmm. masculinity and femininity? And as you try and put those attributes down, you, you you come up with nothing. You come <laughs> up with nothing because you you could say, well, they've got to be caring. Well, it's very caring um, uh, men. You know, there's doctors, there's nurses, there's there's a lot of uh, fathers who are very caring, people who are, are caring who are men. Uh, uh, you know, great fighters. Well, women have proved great fighters. We know this from back in the history of the, of the wars and the, you know in the Second World War. Um, and it, it's it's a situation that men and women can both do. Is it's it's every brain gets coded differently. So women can have be special forces. They can run a country, run a uh, a company. It wasn't until, was it the early 20s that women were getting the votes? Mm-hmm. And it was a laughable idea back in the American Civil War that women are not going to get the vote. Can, can, can people of color get the vote? This is all crazy, crazy, crazy. We now know we're all human beings. We're all of this world. And we come from the same heritage way, way, way back. And the idea of separate and divide is, is a, a right-wing thinking that's gone on for, mm-hmm. set, well, millennia. And I'm as someone who's heading into politics. Uh, hopefully in the next generation in the UK, I am saying, no, it's we're all people. Live yeah. and let live. Tr- treat other people as you'd like to be treated yourself. The golden rule is in all major religions. I'm not a religious person. I don't believe in the mystical guy upstairs because he doesn't seem to come and help us. And so I think, but I believe there's more goodwill than ill will in the world. So I'm fighting for that in this 21st century, yeah. the coming of age of humanity. So let's century. let's talk a little bit about um, about Dress to Kill and its relationship to your new tour, which is this kind of remix tour where you're you're taking you know different components uh, from from your career and, and and bringing them together in new ways. So let's talk Dress to Kill first. San Francisco, 1998. Like, what was that yeah. place for you at that time in your life and at that time in you know kind of the city's life? Well, it's. <laughs> It, it became an, an amazing place for me, San Francisco, because I was here for quite a long time. Well, five weeks, and it doesn't sound that long, but it uh, normally you play one night, two nights in a city. But I was I was just based here, and I got to know the city well. And um, I had I had had the luck of doing a film with Robin Williams uh, back in the United Kingdom, and he was like the godlike person. Stand up when I was at stand up workshop in my in my hmm. and uh, childhood in my in my early so in my late twenties sorry childhood in my late twenties and um, and then to do a film which is a serious film uh, was a, a film uh, from a Joseph Conrad book and. Uh, he sort of knew of my stuff and I handed him my picture, could you watch this please? And he was very positive about that. Then I'd been pushing away to, to try and get to play America because for, for British, if people remember the older days, now there's much more swapping between American uh, 
comedians going to Europe and European comedians going back and, and all around the world. But back in the day, there was this idea that, oh, no, no one would understand hmm. things if you change countries. And that was the references. It's not the sense of humor. It's the references that were tripping people up. Uh, if you talk about Hershey's bars and um, uh, Wrigley's Field and stuff, and, and, and we talk about the politicians from America. If you go to Britain, people won't necessarily pick up on that and vice versa. But I'd been very strategically determined, military determination to, to come into play New York endlessly until, until New York said yes. And from that base, I said, right now we go to the West Coast and we go and play San Francisco and uh, and Los Angeles. And San Francisco was the big one. And then Robin said he put about the title. So I was coming into San Francisco in this wonderful place of New York having said yes. So American uh, people who had the comedy taste, they were saying, this is good stuff. This is kind of because I'm a child of Python, so hopefully they were <laughs> they were linking it through to Python because yeah. it really is kind of that kind of surreal, weird stuff. And and Robin put his name over the title, which was wonderful. And then I was playing there. We had an opening night. Sean Penn was there. Robert Wright uh, was there. And the mayor of, of uh, San Francisco was there. So an unbelievable opening night that I just hadn't ever thought that was going to happen. And then I was playing for four weeks there and, wow. and there was it was a cable car theatre which was downstairs and the stage door theatre was upstairs. And these names have changed now, I think. And the, the stage door has become a nightclub. But I used to sometimes enter through the stage door, which was a bigger theatre, about 500 seats. And I thought this would make a good place to video <laughs> the show. And with my ambition, I said, we do an extra week upstairs and, and we'll video the show extra week or two weeks we did and so we videoed it and then and hbo still hadn't said they wanted to, to use it and then they saw hbo saw it in in los angeles and they said let's use it and the show went into the hbo special which i had filmed uh and usually hbo films it and uh but it it yeah. worked like crazy we got i got two emmys from it so that's and it was it, yeah being in San Francisco for this time it was wonderful. It was wonderful being in San Francisco. Absolutely incorporated it into the molecules of my being by watching it so many times. And you know, it is interesting because um, you know, rewatching it, when I see something like Cake or Death, I don't even know what the Anglican church is. Like I do, but I don't know any Anglicans. You know, I didn't I didn't grow up with that. But when you do the Anglican church doing, you know, the Inquisition and you go into this incredible riff about cake or death, you know, um, my seven-year-old got it. My 10-year-old got it. I got it, you know. Um, do you think those references? Well, it's, it's, kind of, yeah. it's kind of. Yeah, no, sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Question, I, I was going to answer no, go the question. Well, was he, I, I, it, that was quite a difficult piece to refine. I've only started doing it in the last two or three years. So it will be featuring in San Francisco, but it's the essence of Cake or Death was was um, back in the 1500s, at the time of Shakespeare, and I'm about to do Hamlet in New York, so this is where I've got Shakespeare on the brain. Uh, we were doing Catholics burning Protestants at the stake, Protestants burning Catholics at the stake. It was that heavy. It was that fundamentalist. It was that, uh, you know, extreme. And now you get to... The, the, well, that was the late uh, 20th century, late 1900s, going to these um, 20-hundreds. Uh, I... Uh, if you look at their religion in the United Kingdom, they're not, they're decent people. They're they're general. There's no, there are no fundamentalists, no extremists out there. And so, Church of England is your Episcopal Church, which which obviously after the Revolutionary War, you said we're not having Church of England. We're not having England on the <laughs> bloody thing. God damn it! What are we going to do? Look at get a Scrabble board out. Okay, Episcopal. That I don't know what it means, but it's got lots of letters in it. That's, it, it apparently means Church of the Bishops. Whatever that means. Well, it obviously wasn't linking back to to uh, the 
the British church. So that was that's what the fiscal problem is, and that's the same thing. But it's essentially um, relaxed Protestants and relaxed anything, you know, um, relaxed um, Islamic people, Jewish people, anyone who's not fundamentalist is usually on the side of human beings. When they get extreme, that's when. That's when it all goes wrong. The extremists of anything, it just doesn't work with human beings. And that's when it goes horrible. So um, and the, the idea that they would have village fates, which would be like garden parties, I'm not sure, just fundraising things with raffles and throw a coconut <laughs> at a coconut with a coconut. And, and that was it. And they have some cake or thing. And the idea that you could have a fundamentalist version of this, which is our dogma is cake. Our dogma is cake or, or sandwiches. <laughs> or would you like that? Or, or there's death. You must, you must choose to, in, you must buy into our cake. That is the essence of what I was trying to say, because it gets a little bit lost in that. I was trying to work out what is the essence. And I'm saying that, you know, it, nowadays, uh, Church of England, if you were a fundamentalist, you would say, have cake, have a bit of sandwich, have a cup of uh, a glass of lemonade, or you're going to die. These are your choices. And then we're, <laughs> well, I'll buy into that. I'm doing the cake and I'm doing the lemonade. Thank you very much. Not death. No, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, and this guy's just desperate for death um so it, it yes it became this t-shirt um which we've got this wonderful t-shirt with a picture of a cake picture of a, uh, a skull and then boxes to tick one or the other um which i really like that. i like the guy who accidentally says death and he's like no 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 sorry sorry cake cake yes um, yes uh, and then he, he gets let off because church of england yes yeah um, uh, Mike writes, thanks to Izzard for helping me and my British friend form a close bond from day one as a result of cake or death. Um, and I do, I feel like well, there, was, there was something about that, uh, not, not just that, that skit, but your, your two person dot dialogues which we're going to talk about right after the after the break mm. that really i feel like people fix them in their mind in a, in a beautiful way we're talking with Susie izzard british comedian actress activist currently on a remix tour with three shows coming up here in san francisco where are the shows Susie? Uh, when are the shows? Well, they are not. Well, today, today is Tuesday or Wednesday. Hang on, I'm just looking up. You say where or when? Oh, wh where, where? Yeah. Oh, uh, where the Orpheum? The Orpheum. The Orpheum. Wonderful. So you can yeah. check out those shows. Talking with Susie Izzard, British comedian, actress, and activist. We'll be back with more right after the break. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with Susie Izzard, British comedian, actress, activist, currently on a remix tour with three shows coming up here in San Francisco at the Orpheum Theater. I want to hear from you. What's your favorite Susie Izzard comedy special? The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. You can find us on all the different social things. We're KQED Forum. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about, Susie, the, the comedic technique where you're kind of doing these dialogues back and forth, which is kind of a, a trademark of your work, but you borrowed it from Richard Pryor, or at least saw it there, yeah? Yes, that that's a, it's a very curious thing. Now, I if you watch Richard Pryor live, which in the UK, I couldn't... I recently, I tried to, to download it. I thought, okay, get it this way, this way. I think maybe it's available on, on DVD through Amazon or something. But um, I couldn't actually access his show, to, that, that first show, that classic show, to mm. try and check this bit. But... Um, what Richard seemed to do was he would often uh, do he'd often do character uh, pieces where he'd say it's got to think of it, it's a guy like this and then and then the character would talk to the audience what's going on here my God this is and they would project and they would they would talk to the audience mm-hmm. um, that character occasionally well and I, I'm afraid I'm going to think it one time he had two guys two African American guys two black guys going hunting and and it seemed to be one guy says okay give me the gun he says uh, what gun uh, the gun we're gonna go we're hunting we're going the gun oh, i haven't got a gun where's the gun the car you didn't say bring it ah. and so they had this turning this quarter turn between two characters mm-hmm. um and and you you realize two people were talking and they were about one had forgot the gun and the other guy said I, he was supposed to bring the gun but i thought oh because i came from sketch comedy because i was very much this child of monty python i thought um, had done all these single character sketches with other people in them. And now I was doing stand-up. I'd, I'd forced myself to learn stand-up, which I found very difficult to learn. And and I thought eventually I can get through to these character interplays where I can have characters talking to each other. But but a lot of people don't do that. They do single character uh, performances. So when I analyzed it down, I found even Robin does mainly characters forward, where Billy Connolly, a big influence on me, uh, characters playing forwards occasionally talking to another character but not much and i just fell into it because i thought everyone was doing it or a lot of people were doing it <laughs> and um and they weren't really so I, i've come up with this style which i have taken into great expectations which was a big hit in broadway and, and in london the one uh one woman stage show playing 19 characters and hamlet also going to happen in january in new york uh next january um again playing all the characters um hamlet and Ophelia and Gertrude and Claudius and all the guys. So it's that technique is coming from Richard Pryor, which is a kind of beautiful journey. Yeah. How do you um, see the relationship between that stage work and uh, the this, this stand-up? Well, it's, both have informed each other. The confidence of standing in front of an audience two hours doing stand-up means that I can stand for two hours again um, and all the characters are great expectations, Pip and, and Magwitch and Estella and Miss Havisham. Um, the, the what Richard Price technique, which I took in and I've worked for it's the, the my remix story is the first 35 years of my career. So 35 years I've been practicing a technique that people weren't really doing, which is really odd. I've only and it's only the last few years I've worked out that this isn't the technique that everyone's doing. Um, <laughs> I'm very happy for anyone else to copy it though. And <laughs> 
so it gives you this thing you can play not only two characters like at the beginning of of great expectations i have i think about nine characters in the room and you change the physicality and the voices and, the voice, and you can change where the voices the timbre of the voice a uh, physicality and where they are geographically the the lo their location on the stage so that you realize ah you're zipping from one character to the other and and i've developed sometimes even very fast flowing between two characters having an argument that way it's going very quickly between jaggers and pip sometimes when pip realizes <laughs> this, this is not miss havisham who's giving me the money i never told you that pip that is not what i said and you 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 switch the voice you switch the positioning and everyone get, and people get it and also young kids get it and i really like that i want young people to be able to come to great expectations and uh, hamlet and get it and grab it. And my brother, who's done the adaptations, wants that as well, so that it's accessible as opposed to in the innocent, particularly with Shakespeare, the inaccessibility of, of mm -hmm. Elizabethan verse. How the hell are you, you know, when I was at school, I, I couldn't grab hold very easily. I'm a dyslexic kid. And it intimidated the, the, the everything out of me. Um, but now I'm, I'm going and uh, it's we're doing open rehearsals as well with that, but that's oh, wow. that's not what this. Is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, but we're talking we're talking about the remix too at the moment. Yeah. and that is it's wonderful to go back. And this is remix as well because um, in rock and roll, you everyone insists on can you please do your songs, play the hits, do the old songs, yeah. and it must drive them slightly out of their minds <laughs> to go, oh, not the same progressions again. And I was thinking, um, I do love the Stones, and I um, and it's fantastic that they got a new album out, and I like the first two tracks I've heard. Um, but when I, I thought, sort of on a logic scale, when you're in mixings, I can't get no satisfaction. You must be thinking, surely, maybe you can get some. <laughs> some you need to By this point, you think that. you've figured something one. out, yeah. Yes, there's some satisfaction must be flowing your way. Um, uh, but I, so when we we stand, if you if you know the comedy world, in the olden days, I think in America and definitely in Britain, they used to have people who performed on television. They would have a live set, about an hour long, say, and they would do the same hour long set for say thirty years or something. They just keep it because they didn't have to change it and it worked, and and people hadn't really seen it because it was only used live. And then in stand up, we all started changing our things. Early nineties, we started changing the material over quicker. And so now a fresh show is needed every few years. Right. And so we dump the old stuff, but I'm going back to the old stuff, but I can't just go back and do it as I did it before. I have to remix. I have to refine it. So cake or death, um, I had to refine that. I had to find the logic of that. Um, death star canteen with Darth Vader trying to order penny a la Arabiata in a service canteen of the death star. That is, I, I got, it was so overheard in my head that I couldn't find a way in. I now am ad-libbing. I'm playing a chess game. That's the, what's interesting. I will ad-lib from one character to the other. So each character does not know. These two characters who are sort of having this status battle don't quite know what the other one's going to say next, which would happen in real life, but happens with me. It's a technique I, I accidentally started doing because I was just playing around. And I don't know what Darth Vader's going to say next. So I don't know what Julie, the woman behind the counter, is going to say next. So, um, it, it, it's, it's sometimes just making me laugh because I'm not sure what I'm doing. And well, so let's play. Should uh, we? Let's play. Let's play a little Death Star canteen. We have a a version of it now. Let's play it, and then maybe you can tell us how you how you're going to think about remixing uh, this bit here. But there must have been a Death Star canteen, yeah. There must have been a, a cafeteria downstairs in between battles where Darth Vader could just chill and go down. I will have the penne a la Arabiata. <laughs> You'll need a tray. <laughs> Do you know who I am? 
Do you know who I am? This is not a game of who the f are you. <laughs> For I am Vader. Darth Vader. Lord Vader. I can kill you with a single thought. <laughs> but you'll still need a tray. <laughs> no, I will not need a tray. I do not need a tray to kill you. I can kill you without a tray, with the power of the force, which is strong within me. Even though I could kill you with a tray, if I so wished. For I would hack at your neck with the thin bit until the blood flowed across the canteen floor. No, the food is hot. You'll need a tray to put the food on. <laughs> oh, I see the food is hot. I'm sorry. I, I did not realize. Uh, yo, Mr. Stevens. Um, I, uh, I love that whole, uh, well, that, that whole skit. Amazing. Well, well, it's, it is essentially a status play of, of someone being the big I am and the other person saying, just, just stand there and get a train, put your food, and it all getting into this threat to, you know, fight for the death. <laughs> but I've, I've, I already changed it when, when, um, when she says, he says, do you know who I am? She says, um, yes, you're Kenny from the fifth floor. <laughs> and he says, who the, who the uh, F is Kenny from the fifth floor? He's, I don't know, but he's kind of said he's going to come down and dress up weird. Damn. I am not dressed up weird. This is not dressed up weird. Because, well, do you have a motorbike? This, this is not a motorbike helmet. Oh, right. Are you a German First World War soldier? No, this is... This is well. It's based on German First World War, so, but we cut the spike off. We cut the spike off, so it's completely different. What's the mouth organ at the front back? Well, I used to do Dylan numbers, and if you've watched the Dear Kenny Baker thing, he used to arrange this. this. So I'm, it, it goes into this other exchange, and then then she goes back, and 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 Mr. Stevens does come in. So I hit the main points of it, but it goes into different places, um, and also he talks about killing people uh, that he oh. Yeah. Um, sorry. I'm just getting an alert on my... Oh, no. Um, well, let's bring oh, no. in... Um, I love that. I love the live remix here. Thank you for that. Um, let's bring in uh, our first caller here who wants to ask you something. Sina uh, in San Rafael. Welcome. Hi. Thank you so much. Um, I'm so, so just like starstruck that I'm talking to you. Um, <laughs> well, I wanted to say much. that... Um, Oh my goodness. Um, I wanted to say that Dress to Kill is uh, also my favorite, um, mm. you know, thing you've done because of the sort of relationships and the introduction to comedy that it was. I saw it when I was like 10 years old. My mother and I found the, di the DVD in like Best Buy or something like that. And she said, you need to sit down and watch this. This is important. Um, and it really, like, to this day, being dead at the time is, like, my go-to excuse for getting out of plans or something like that. Um, and then sharing it with my friends as we grew older and whatnot. Um, and even though it's, like, scratched all the hell, we still have the DVD. We don't even have a DVD player. But um, it also, like, at 10 years old, it was my introduction to stand-up comedy. Mm. And I'm grateful that it was that because it was smart. And it was respectful and it didn't have any sort of jabs towards any, you know, uh, right. There's a lot people, of extremely cringy stuff that you find in 90s right. stand up. Yeah. Right, right. Punching up, which is the key, to, I think, yeah. to, you know, really good comedy. And I carried that with me as I grew up and was able to, you know, 
get into more comedy and whatnot. And it introduced me to British comedy. Um, James Acaster is like somebody else that I really love nowadays, and I don't know if I would know British comedy without mm. you. Mm. Um, so beyond that, what I wanted to know is this is, might be kind of like asking you to choose one of your favorite children, but what is your favorite bit that you've ever done for yourself? <laughs> what What is close to your heart personally? Thanks, Cena. Well, well, it would normally be a, a, a top 10, but <laughs> um, see, Desktop Canteen, I did like, and then I lost the liking of it because I'd heard it too much, and now I'm re-liking it again. So that is coming in there. Um, um, I liked the idea that the, the piece I was talking about, oh, the, the Death of Caesar is actually playing very well now, which is from about two shows ago, because uh, Caesar was the guy who got rid of 500 years of democracy in Rome, so he should be uh, he should be taking the the, the the comedy should be or the, the Mickey should be taken out of him because this this is the guy who who set himself up as a dictator for life and his and his friends were the person who assassinated him. So when it comes to assassination, all the people coming up sound like Roman names, but they get weirder. So it starts off with Drusus and Cassius, but then it's Decidius, and then Coniferous, <laughs> then Cantankerous comes up, then Tenacious, um, Arthritis, um, Conspicuous. You know, so I, all the different names that come up, which which I had to work on because I kept ad-libbing them each time. And I thought, now I have to sit down and work out the best names to use, um, including litigious comes up. I'm not signing for that, litigious. I'm not signing for that. And um, incestuous comes up with his sister. And, uh, yeah, so the death of Caesar is fine. And then the chicken Caesar salad. There's, there's, there's a whole bunch, I'm afraid. There is no one. Um, I try and keep them, especially seeing as I'm going back through them, uh, in, in play. The dinosaurs, the dinosaurs, which is from Wunderbar for just the last show, the dinosaurs, they're doing dinosaur mm -hmm. poetry. Dinosaur poetry is fun <laughs> um, because there is no dinosaur poetry. Or di dinosaur quiz games where a dinosaur wins a holiday for two in a swamp. And um, it's, uh, yeah. How about this? I, Let's so go I'm the other way. To, Are there any you yeah. hate now? Are there any that you, you hear them and you go like, oh, God, no. No, I don't think there's any I hate. There's some of their time, which the time has passed. If, if I ever hit on anything topical, uh, not so good. I mean, I talked about bees, and I am talking about the bees, because uh, the forager bees, forager worker bees do out, go out and find nectar. But I said pollen. So I don't hate this, but I just got it wrong. Oh. I do try and correct things. <laughs> so I said they go out to find pollen. No, they go out to find nectar, and they get pollen on them. And as they go to the next flower, the pollen comes off which I'm likening to dandruff or something. And, and uh, I'm sorry about this dandruff. It's not, it's good. It's fine. Keep the dandruff thing going. Um, and they suck it. They take out pollen. They take out nectar, which they make into honey by regurgitating it into lots of other bees. So any honey you have has been through several bees before you get it. Um, and the fact that bees look like wasps, exactly like if they were created by a sentient being upstairs in the clouds, then why did he create wasps and bees so close? Why don't they look totally different? Because they scare children. <laughs> let's um, let's play. You you have another beekeeper bit. Let's just stay on the topic of bees. Here we go. Beekeepers as well. Beekeepers, yes. Beekeepers, they, they've got to want to be. I want to be a beekeeper. I want to keep bees. <laughs> I want. I don't want them to get away. I want to keep them. <laughs> they have too much freedom. I want bees on elastic, so when they get pollen, they come back here. My father was a beekeeper before me. His father was a beekeeper before him. I want to walk in their footsteps. And their footsteps were like this. Ah! Ah! I'm covered in bees! Ah! 
covered in bees. We're talking with Susie Izzard, British comedian, actress, activist, currently on the Remix Tour here. Three shows coming up in San Francisco this week at the Orpheum Theater. Um, the beekeeper bit, it actually feels, a, you know, a, a little bit to the side of what you normally do, yeah? Well, everything can be just as... I look at the idea that if there is a sentient God, why would they create... Uh, Bees are the only creepy crawly that makes anything useful. I think. I think there might be one other I came up with, and I forgot what it was. But silkworms, but silkworms, don't make great. you know. Yeah. Silkworms. Okay, silkworms. Let's put silkworms in that bag. So there's, there's, there's bees and the silkworms. All the rest can go away. Spiders? No, I don't think. So it, it all that, that it's I I tried to. Some people used to say, "Oh, your humans very gentle." And I thought. Yeah, that doesn't sound a great place to be. And then I started talking about human sacrifice, and that was a good place to go because if you go for the very heavy-duty subjects, a bit like Monty Python. Monty Python, early Monty Python, was was just, can it be silly uh, and weird and out there? And then by the time <clears throat> they get to life of Brian, they are talking about religious, religious schisms, uh, even unions, and how everyone or, 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 or pressure groups who can be slight, have ideology that's slightly 1% different to the other one, but they hate each other because <laughs> of that 1% difference. And uh, so that was a very mature um, masterpiece of their, of their craft of, of Monty Python. And, and that, that's what, that's what John Cleese says. And I think he's right. That is the one. Um, and whereas Holy Grail is just kind of bonkers and crazy. They're out yes. there and they've got their horses because they've got their horses and they, they fought at any horses. Um, so uh, so the bees thing is not necessarily separate because it's part of mother nature and i think it's beautiful that it happens and the the intricacy of that i don't again i don't think it's a plan i just it seems to be it's a, the, some beautiful accidents happen in our world and some horrible accidents you know some of the way that diseases work you think how, how does that work so i just i don't see a plan there i just yeah. see things happen. we are lucky enough to have this world we could lose this world um so under the umbrella of life and um, human beings and eternity, uh, sure. <laughs> everything kind of fits 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 quite well after that. We're talking with Susie Izzard, British comedian, actress, and activist. We're going to get to some more of your calls after the break. Talking favorite bits. What are your questions for Susie Izzard? What are you hoping to see or hear in the remix tour shows here in the city? And give us a call. The number is eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. Forum at kqed.org, Twitter, Instagram, threads, we're KQED Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with comedian, a- activist, actress Susie Izzard. Um, you know, Susie, we had an earthquake during that last segment. That's that's what I, I know. That's what I got the alert. Now, where did, I, I, I I was just sending the text through to my tour manager. Should I do anything about this? <laughs> yeah, right I, I'm going to ask you now. Uh, earthquake detected. Drop cover. Hold on. Protect yourself. Um, and I'm in Sausalito, so do I do? I think you're fine. You're fine. Yeah, no, no, you're good. Okay. You can you can stay on the Zoom. Uh, we, yeah, I, uh, you know, just giving you a little bit of that, you know, California flavor uh, for you out here is nice of the world to to give us that. Um, let's uh, bring in another call. Let's bring in. Another. Oh, I, oh, okay, okay. Just before you do, can I say my first earthquake experience was in Louisville, of all places, Louisville. where I don't know if earthquakes happen ever. Yeah, and it was just before I. I told in an interview like this um, with is it Newsweek? Is that a magazine? That's Newsweek? a Mad magazine, or at least it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I'm just, well, I was. I said Newsweek. I'm thinking of going into politics, um, and uh, I'm not going to link the earthquake to that. <laughs> but it just, I did. That was. It did shake a. Little, I mean, obviously, you guys have hellish earthquakes from time to time, and let's hope they one never happens again. And I hope this one just happens. Too bad, but um, yeah. Anyway, I did have one in Louisville. I just not where I was expecting to have an earthquake. Yes. This was like a little baby one. This was like a, a four point one. Uh, so says the uh, USGS. In case people need that little bit of uh, news, they can use. <laughs> let's uh, let's bring it, uh, Michael in Walnut Creek. Hey, Michael. Hi. Thanks for taking my. Hi. Thanks for taking my call, uh, Susie. I've been a big fan uh, since my brother brought home Dress to Kill on DVD when he first went to college. I just wanted to comment and thank you for uh, the political saliency at all of your bits, um, particularly uh, the, one of my favorites that comes to mind is you know, people or guns don't kill people. People do. And monkeys do for Epstein's if they've got a gun, <laughs> uh, because it's not you, you play the FBI agent and the monkey and Charlton Heston. And there's this whole scene going on, but underlying to all of that is, some really important uh, political commentary on gun control and and the narrative, the lies we tell ourselves um, about it. And this is, you know, 20 something years ago. Uh, I just think that it, it speaks to so much of what you've been able to do uh, over, over a broad career of comedy to show that, you know, being funny and pointing out the incongruencies in our in in our politics and in our society is uh, so much easier than yelling and so much more effective than yelling. Because every bit uh, in Circle and Dress to Kill, particularly every single bit, has a deeper point to it. And I just mm-hmm. want to thank you for all of that. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much. Oh, no, uh, yeah, thank you for saying that. Um, it's, uh, it is curious, that, that, that this problem with gun control that you have in this. And it seems to be particularly the States, because in Europe, well, we had the Second World War. I don't know if that makes any difference to us, because you, you guys were participants in the Second World War, but it didn't happen. Your last big time when people were uh, you having a war. Was there a civil war? And that's uh, well, I said, a long time ago, yeah. 250 years ago. Yeah, 200 years ago. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it's it's tragic that it goes on and on and on. And gun control is so difficult in America. Whereas in Britain, uh, France, Germany, um, it doesn't seem to be so bad. We don't seem to have so many problems. And we do have gun control. And it, 
nothing yeah. happens. That no one, it, j- it just doesn't go to the wall. So I, yeah, um, I, I feel for the, the citizen states. I, I, I hear that seventy percent of Americans would like some kind of gun control. Oh yeah, but it just never, never kind of comes out for some reason politically. It gets stuck in. The, I don't know. It's the the right wing. It's the far right. It's always the far right. Let me let me ask you uh, about another sort of political question. I mean, you know, particularly as a you know, you've described yourself on the show today. It's you know, gender fluid person, trans woman. You know, the 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 politics of existing, the politics of making jokes about uh, about gender, like. How do you feel more of a responsibility to kind of nail the points home, or do you feel like it hurts the comedy if you try to do that? No, I, I tend not to uh, look to build in political points. In it's, it's interesting uh, mentioning you know, the idea of, of gun control, or um, I was talking about Paul Parton uh, mm-hmm. in Dress to Kill as well, under house arrest, and, and if you kill. If somebody horrendously kills a number of people, you think that's bad. But if they kill hundreds of thousands, we put it in a different bag. So I'll just put them under house arrest. And that's it's almost, uh, we can't quite believe it. And we put it into the, well, let's talk about it. Let's write a book about it. Um, that which is which is very good. But my, most of my comedy is, is not party political. It can be human politics. It can talk about historical politics. Um, uh, sexual politics, things like that, but it doesn't go into party politics because that dates so very quickly. So if you're talking about Vietnam, Pol, uh, Pol Pot, about um, things going back Second World War, whatever the uh, the Battle of uh, Thermopylae, which I talk about in the show, uh, and uh, the different film versions that have been the Battle of Thermopylae, including Shirley Temple's version of the Battle of Thermopylae, <laughs> and then I go into this very weird version of where she. That's what the on the good ship Polypop was actually designed to be about the Battle of Thermopylae. <laughs> so I go, I go into this weird other place. But, I mean, yeah, human sacrifice, that is a crazy thing. That's, that's an interesting thing, human sacrifice. It is the one political thing that we've all decided we, we shouldn't do. But they did do it as a political, religious thing for control, obviously. We did, oh, you know, the crops have failed, the weather is bad, the gods hate it, so we're going to kill Steve. Um, <laughs> this crazy idea of Steve getting ripped open. To try and help the crops for next year, or to, to please the gods, because surely Steve was created by the gods, and the gods would be furious that you're killing uh, a creature that was created by the gods, and that, that just seems to get stepped over in the logic process. Poor Steve, you know, he's yeah. getting killed. He's on the moon. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I know. Um, well, Steve and Jeff, Steve yes. and Jeff, they're just real. I like using real names uh, as opposed to Mister Funny Pants or something. Yeah. You know, I just like using Ever Steves and Jeffs. Um, let's bring in a, a Heather here. Heather in Alameda. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I, I'm beside myself with joy and welcome to San Francisco, the city. Um, I just wanted to say that in the, <laughs> in the early aughts, your comedy became my entire personality and a great litmus test for folks. And I was able to, uh, I still do it. Uh, work Jeff the God of Biscuit, speaking of Jeff, and what is it, Sebastian, I'm arranging matches into conversation, and much to people's shock and horror, but that's how You're I You're like, now I live on a houseboat alone are. in Alameda, and it's all your <laughs> fault, Susie. And it's lovely, it's beautiful, <laughs> you should visit. And so um, I just have to say that I, I bought tickets for the show in June. I'm bringing my kids on Friday. We'll be in row E waving at you. But, but more importantly, I just have to say that the way that you have... Um, 
<laughs> made British imperialism fun for everyone to learn about uh, has been wonderful. And I think other people have talked about this as well, like letting our children learn history via humor is so important. And like you said, there's no, it's not political, that doesn't age well, but all of everything you've ever said has aged perfectly for me. <laughs> and me living in New York, when I first listened to your, um, first watched the show, and now I live in San Francisco and I can't, I, every time I say the city, I just think of you and it's just <laughs> wonderful. And then the last thing I'd like to say is that what advice, this is no pressure, what advice do you have for today's youth to kind of keep it light when they're talking about politics, not take things too seriously, but also keep it honest? Um, I'm just so grateful you're here and I'll see you on Friday. Thank you, Heather. Eddie, well, this- I, Susie, before you answer, I want to play flags. Yeah. I want I want to play the bit about flags. Okay. And then we can talk. Then then we have a little something to work with on. Um, okay. So yeah, let's, let's, let's play flags and people can hear uh, how funny British imperialism can be. And we built up empires. We stole countries. That's what you do. That's how you build an empire. We stole countries with the cunning use of flags. Yeah. <laughs> you just sail around the world and stick a flag in. I claim India for Britain. And they go, you can't claim us. We live here. 500 million of us. Do you have a flag? <laughs> We don't need a bloody flag. It's our country, you bastard. No flag, no country. You can't have one. That's the rules that I've just made up. And I'm backing it up with this gun. I mean, the absurdity of the entire colonial project in 30 seconds. It's so amazing, Susie. Well, yes, that, that is one that... Um... Do you have? A flag? I didn't. I never thought that would be a key thing that people would grab hold of. But I have. I have an answer to the question that the, uh, the last caller just uh, put yeah. forward. And I said this to kids. I said this to adults. I said this to anyone. Um, Brexit had in, in our country, which I didn't agree with, the idea of separation and pulling back. Um, and so, if you see a negative happen in the world and it gets you down, then do a positive, but don't actually just do a positive. Do a double positive. That's what I say. This is the way we're going to make the 21st century work. Because I consider the 21st century, 21, the, the coming of age of humanity. We've got to make it work. Uh, everyone in the world should has the right to a fair chance in life. We've got to make that happen this century. So if you see a negative, don't do a positive. Do a double positive. Do something yourself in your own way. And it can, it can be quite small, but whatever it is. But something uh, audacious and positive. And so what I did was I... I develop my shows in in English normally. And instead of that, I went to France and decided to develop the show in French, which means that I was ad-libbing and (laughs) improvising, excuse me, in Paris for two, doing two shows a night, French. And I didn't even think I could do it, but I did do it. And I developed about 20 minutes of material in, of uh, Wunderbar, my last tour, my last show uh, in French. And then I went to Germany and I continued and I had another 10 minutes on in German, Alice auf Deutsch. So total uh, tous en français and then Alice auf Deutsch. And I can do it in, in Spanish as well. So just, it doesn't have to be in languages, whatever it is. If you see something negative and you think this is negative against human beings, go yourself, do something positive. That's the way to take things forward. And if we all do our own little bit this way, it will build up into uh, um, a superfluous... Uh, Superfluous—is that the right word? A, a a a a a big energy of pushing forward in positivity. So that's—I mean—is that why you see a negative? Do it double positive. Is that why you ran thirty marathons in thirty days or whatever it was? You were like, the world is so bad right now that in order to do a double positive, I must run a marathon every day for a month. 
No, I, I analyzed this, this double positive idea a bit later than that, but that was more, I always, you know, I wanted to be in special forces when I was a kid. I wanted to do that. I wanted to do something physical. I wanted to regain the, the energy of my youth, the fitness of my youth, and also raise money it seemed to be a helpful thing. So I did 43 marathons in 51 days in the UK, taking a day off a week. And then I cut the days off and I did 27 uh, marathons in 27 days in South Africa. Then I did, what was it, 29 and 29 around Europe at the time of Brexit and uh, then 32 and 31 in lockdown on a treadmill. So I just, it's about 130 marathons now I've done for charity and it's just, it's elemental. And uh, if you happen to be trans and you're doing marathons, then it's a kind of interest mix that that um, while people are trying to punch down on you, uh, including comedians punching down, you can say, well, I exist. I'm trying to help people. I'm trying to do positive things. And, and that's my politics. So mm. I'll, I'll just keep doing it. Let's bring in uh, Enid in San Francisco. Welcome, Enid. Susie, my Eddie, I love you so much. I'm so excited to talk to you. I've been listening to you since 89, 98, 98. I love you from the riches, all your shows. I've seen you in the UK. I've seen you in New York. And I can't tell you what an honor it is to talk to you. I am well, so excited you, about Saturday's show. And I have so many people that want to come with me to the show. And I keep giving them the Orpheum's number so that they can just buy tickets although they want to be my date, and I just can't say how excited I am for you to be back. Um, I know that your relationship with Robin Williams was really tight. Um, I saw you a couple times hanging out with him in North Beach, and it was such a joy to see my favorite SF um, artist and comedian along with you and the history that I've learned because I hated school, and you helped me through college, and I just can't thank you enough for that. Well, thank you. I, 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 I say I do these things for myself. I'm quite selfish, really. But uh, hopefully other people go, oh, that's kind of fun. That's in my wheelhouse. And, and let's let's go forward with it. So, um, yeah. So what you're saying Robin is you just, didn't do this for me? No, <laughs> no, no. I want to be no. honest about it because it sounds like I'm, an, uh, you know, uh, just this wonderful person who just tries to be successful all the time. But I, I, you know, I yeah. do. It's like the front of the peloton. I, I, I ride at the front of the peloton, a uh, Tour de France reference here, and you take a lot of wind buffeting. Yeah. So I'll take the wind buffeting, and if anyone wants to slipstream behind, then go for it. And that's what it was when I came out about almost 40 years ago now. And I'm if I'm trying to do things Susie. positive. I'm right behind you. Yeah. <laughs> thank, you well, thank you, Thank you. Thank you, Ina. Thank you. Bye-bye, guys. Bye. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. I'll see you on Saturday. Um, we got, we got one more fan. I got, I can't, can't, I mean, we have more fans than that, but let's, uh, let's bring in one more. Bill in Los Gatos. Welcome. Hey, thank you very much. Uh, it's great to be here. I, I have to say at 67, you know, I'm too old to be really thrilled about talking to anybody, but here is an exception. You know, there aren't many people in the world that I'd be thrilled to talk to. And I think it's basically Susie and Obama and that's about it. So what a thrill this is. Um, and, you know, there's, uh, I, I just want to share what remains one of my funniest bits ever that I've appreciated uh, and always will. And yet um, I'm embarrassed to say it probably has no social commentary value. So I'm a little bit remiss in that sense. But the, the, the skit on the Death Star with the Pene Arabeata and Darth Vader cracks me up <clears throat> no matter how many times I hear it. And the Lego 
video interpretation of it is also just a <laughs> side-splitting <laughs> bit of humor. I, I, and, of course, you know, at an Italian restaurant now, it'll never be the same experience because every time I see penne arrabbiata on the menu, I just crack up. So, anyway, if you haven't seen that sketch, everybody, you, you, you're yeah. missing Do something. yourself a favor. And, yeah. um, thank you so much. Well, uh, thank you. Yeah. Yes, I just like to say it's on. I'm doing Penny Ala Arabiata, and it does have a social. It does have a social underlying thing because I realize it's a social. It's a status fight. It's a status fight, really, where one person is insisting that they are very, very important, and the other person is denying their importance. So it, it's more on a social scale rather than a political scale. But um, I do. That is what the interplay is. And in fact, if you really want to know what it's about. Um, and I've, I haven't sold this to many people, but it doesn't, it doesn't make a huge difference. But what I used to hitch up and down to university at Sheffield, which is a city in the north of England, um, uh, up in Yorkshire. And I was down in, in London as well. So I was going up and down and hitching up the M1, one of our main motorways. And uh, they, people would drop you off in the cars at service stations. It was helpful. And then you could get another lift. And at Leicester Forest East Service station they started bringing in the early 80s they started bringing in more food from europe like like penny arabiata and amongst a lot of other very english fare sausage egg and chips kind of things and that's what i'm, I'm basically channeling darth vader at leicester forestry service station on the m1 uh, in 1983 that's essentially what i'm doing with uh, julie the woman behind the counter dealing with it so that's what it is so good um you know, Zach writes in to say, I feel Eddie Izzard had le- has left us with a tantalizing question for decades. Did you ever get that coffee with the president of Burundi? Uh, no, that didn't quite happen, <laughs> no. Um, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's still, but politics is just around the corner. Yes. I am running for Brighton Pavilion, uh, the a seat in, in the city of Brighton, the great city of Brighton, and, which is in East Sussex where I grew up. 300 years of Izzards in East Sussex. So I will be fighting for that. And if people won't be able to see me after this tour, this is probably the last tour of 10, 15 years, but they can come and see me in Brighton where I will be hopefully the member of parliament. And it's a great city to visit with sun and sea and, and great walks and great restaurants and everything. So clearly yeah, you can do I some serious fundraising here in the Bay area. <laughs> uh, we've been talking with Susie Izzard, British comedian, actress, and activist currently on the remix tour. Got three shows coming up here in San Francisco at the Orpheum. There are limited tickets still available October 19th, 20th, 21st. That's tomorrow, Friday, Saturday, Susie Izzard, this has just been a, a real honor and a delight. Thank you so, so, so much. Thank you very much. Great to talk to you and great to talk to everyone in the San Francisco area. Yeah. Enjoy the shows, everyone. Uh, Chris just writes, um, thank you so much for sharing yourself with us. I love what you have that you have brought. The continuum of history between England and the United States and the world to us through your comedy. We love you so much. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We've been with Susie Izzard. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.